Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Validia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Validia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hey guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I talk about our experiences, successes, and failures in the building of Validia and Validia Capital Management. The conversation focuses on learning from our mistakes, but what we also point out is the process of learning from those mistakes is a delicate one, and sometimes you can take those lessons too far the other way. The discussion is less about investing and more about our experiences and what we've learned about ourselves over the past 20 years in building these businesses. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. What if I wear my sunglasses for this one? <laughs> yeah. All right. This week we're going to change it up a little bit, um, and we're going to work off one of the articles that you wrote actually in July: the danger of learning from your mistakes. And this isn't so much an investment-related piece, although there are many things related to investments in here because for most of our careers, this is what we've been doing. We've basically been building two, two companies, uh, a research-based business and a asset management business. But maybe to start, we could focus on the research business. So I started with John, I, John Reese, the founder of the firm in, I believe, 1997 or 98. And I think you were almost immediately right after me, um, maybe within six months. Uh, you were hired um, by John as well. So let's just talk about that early experience and like what the company was then and sort of some of the things we were doing. And then we can try to relate it to some of these lessons from mistakes and maybe how we took it too far coming out of it. Yeah, this is probably the biggest example I have in my career, maybe learning, learning a good lesson, but learning the lesson maybe too much. And so, like you said, when we when we started off with Validia, you know, we were just out of college in the late 90s. You know, we both started as interns. There was, what, maybe five, six people at that point working out of John Reese, the founder's basement. Um, and, and we started right in the middle of what was becoming the tech bubble. And so companies like ours, technology companies, internet-based companies, were just getting ridiculous valuations. And so we all had our dreams, obviously, of our multi-million dollar paydays we were going to get. You know, we're sitting here working in this basement and thinking about all, all the riches we're eventually going to have. But, you know, people did invest. And we, you know, we, we took a couple rounds of financing. We took, I think it was like four or five million in venture capital. We expanded the business to 50 plus people. And, you know, not just coming from ourselves internally, but from the venture capitalists, the mandate was not make money. The mandate was not generate revenue, although generate revenue was nice. The mandate was we need as many eyeballs to this website as we possibly can. Don't worry about any of that. Don't worry about making money. Don't worry about, you know, generating sales. And so we grew the business to, I think it was 52 people. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, I think it was like, I think over 50 for sure. Yeah. Over 50 uh, people. And, you know, Obviously, the end of the story is what you would think would be the end of the story, given what would happen at that time is, you know, it didn't work out. Um, you know, obviously, the the whole focus on, you know, not generating any profits and, you know, in 2000, when the tech, you know, tech stock started to go down, that affected private companies. And, you know, people weren't interested in money losing private companies anymore. And that's that's effectively what we were. You know, that's what we were trying to be. We were trying to be as big as we could, not taking into account income at all. And so, 
you know, that was that was sort of the formative part of what we, you know, of the early part of our career was we added all these expenses, we added all these people, we grew this huge company, and then it blew up on us. And so going forward, you know, what lesson do you take from that? Well, the, the lesson I took is you really have to be very careful about managing your costs. You have to be really careful about adding people and adding expenses. And so as we sort of restarted a new version of Validia with sort of a different product set starting in 2003, that I had that with me the whole time. And so as we've grown, you know, it's Validia is me, you, John Reese, and then, you know, some, some part-time people. That's basically what it's been from the beginning. You know, we've stayed with that. We've never really added employees. We've never, you know, spent tons of money on marketing our growth. And, and we've done very well. You know, we, we were able to survive things like 2008 that a lot of other people were not able to. But I, I do have the feeling looking back that if we hadn't learned that lesson as much as we did, you know, we may have spent some more money to grow the business. We may have built our team a little bit more. And, and maybe we would have, you know, although we've had a successful company now for 20 years, you know, maybe we would have a more successful company if we'd been more willing to invest back in it and hadn't learned that lesson maybe too much earlier in our careers. Right. Just a couple of things. I think, you know, my department, this is back in the in the, the first version of Olivia. I think I had like 30 like re research content analysts under me. And we were basically summarizing recommendations that were appearing in financial press and tracking the performance. That was a, a product that existed. It doesn't exist anymore. It's not part of the Validia um, research site now. But one of the things that I sort of talk about or think about is, you know, my first real job, I not only built a team of roughly 30 people and managed them, but then I basically had to fire them all. So, you know, within like a three-year period or whatever it was, it's like, you know, I grew this big team, I was managing them, and then we had like multiple rounds of cuts as the VCs sort of were asking us to, you know, rationalize the business and try to save money and, and try to, you know, get bought or whatever it was to try to survive. And like you said, that company was dissolved, um, but some of the technology and some of the intellectual property that John had owned, that sort of formed the foundation or the basis for the sort of face, the, the second Validia coming out of that in 03. Um, just as an so, aside, did anybody ever, nobody's ever done that media buzz thing we were doing. You know, just to, to explain what it was, I mean, we, we were trying to hold anybody in the financial media, TV, et cetera, who made stock recommendations accountable. And so we were summarizing every article, every TV appearance. You know, we were categorizing it by person. So if Jim Cramer was making all these recommendations on CNBC, we were summarizing every one of them and tracking its performance over the, you know, one right. year after he made it, you know, one month after he made it, one week. So we, we were holding, trying to hold all these people accountable for all the articles and TV appearances. And, you know, I don't know. Do you know, has anybody else ever Not tried really. that? I think like, I think, um, I think tip ranks may do something like that. But in terms of like scouring the media and tracking these recommendations that are appearing, I mean, I, you know, I'll tell you, I think the, the amount of like stock picks, just if you just isolate CNBC, I mean, you still have Barron's. Business Week is now owned by um, uh, uh, Bloomberg. But, you know, Forbes as a magazine doesn't, they used to have, you know, Ken Fisher's column. He used to have stock picks. So it's, it's you know, this idea of publicizing these stock picks and investment ideas is, has really just dwindled away to some extent. And, and probably that's good for a lot of investors because, you know, what we found after tracking 120,000 recommendations was that, you know, none of the, there, there wasn't any predict, predictability over any period of time in, um, you know, who you could follow based on their past performance. And by the way, a lot of that methodology sort of was um, 
derived by looking at the Holbert methodology because he was doing it with newsletters. That was kind of the, he was, you know, the guy that tracked the performance and the recommendation in the investment newsletters, and we were trying to take it and apply it to the recommendations in the media. Um, but where I, where, where I wanted to go with you was, you know, so let's bring us through, you know, at one point we were sub-advisors for uh, one of the largest banks in Canada. Um, they hired us to run mutual funds. And um, we had a great run, and we had a, we had a few funds, and those funds got very big in Canada. And um, you know, as a company, that amount of revenue coming in from that piece of business was quite substantial. And to your point, you know, we just we we didn't turn around and, and plow it into the business because I think you know to some extent those experiences early on were influencing us. Yeah, you know, I think we that that's a really good example because when when we did get that big piece of business, you know, we, we were it was sort of a weird way and we got the, that we got it because it was somebody who used our research website. And so, you know, they were they were followers of what we were doing in general and we started sort of from scratch with them. You know, those those funds we ran had no, no assets in them effectively, but some seed money when we first started and then they grew over time. And so, you know, what we missed there is we didn't realize as those funds grow grew, we should have grown ourselves too. You know, we should have taken the money from those funds and we should have, you know, tried to scale up our business. And I think this this early experience is probably part of why we didn't do that. You know, we were so worried about, well, what if things go south on us, you know, and we want to be the one that survives, that we we probably didn't scale that up as, as much as we should. But the flip side of that is, you know, we know a lot of, you know, in that 2008 period, there were a lot of firms that were sort of in the space we were in that didn't make it out the backside. And mm -hmm. so this focus on, you know, keeping costs low and, you know, operating a lean business, that allowed us to continue to exist where maybe others didn't. So, you know, I'm not saying this lesson is a terrible lesson. It's just there's degrees of learning all these lessons. And if, if you take it to too far to an extreme, you know, it, a good lesson can become a bad lesson. Yeah, I mean, and we've been profitable since day one. We've never taken outside capital, you know, since 03, since the first version of Lydia sort of dissolved. So that's sort of, you know, I feel like core to that experience is, is you know how we kind of have built the business and and being able to survive over time. Um, the other point that you uh, were talking about in the article is learning the right lesson at the wrong time, and I think here is where you kind of did bring it back more towards the investing space. Yeah. So the easiest example is 2008. So if if I'm invested 100% in equities in 2008 and my portfolio gets decimated. Um, you know, the lesson I might learn from that is I have way too much risk in my portfolio and I, I just can't handle those ups and downs. The problem is when you take a lesson like that, you've also got to be careful about when you learn that lesson. And so if I finally reach my breaking point in February or March of 2009 and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to take this anymore. There's too much risk in my portfolio and I sell my equities and I move to bonds or something like that. Well, I've made a massive mistake that's going to hurt my long term returns. And so the best thing to do in situations like that is to also understand that, all right, maybe I've, I've learned this lesson that I have too much risk in my portfolio, but maybe when the market's down this much, it's not the right time to learn the lesson. You know, may, maybe what I should do is keep that lesson in mind, and when things are good again, maybe then is when I say, all right, let's de-risk my portfolio and let's, let's learn that lesson. And, and you can give what's, you could, uh, give what's going on with value right now as another example of that that may or may not work out the same way. You know, if you've learned, one of the things about value is it's incredibly volatile. It has long periods of underperformance. And if you didn't know that coming into investing in value, and now you've been sitting through this horrible period, well, now you're learning a lesson. You know, maybe value is not for me. You know, I can't sit through these, uh, this volatility and these long periods of underperformance. But if I learn that lesson today, 
maybe five years from now, I'm going to really regret when I learned that lesson. I may not regret learning the lesson because if, if the volatility of value is too much for you, then it is. But you have to be careful about when you learn these lessons because learning them at the wrong time can be really destructive. One of the things that we've talked about a lot in terms of our portfolio construction and how we mix these strategies is for the most part, we've been, you know, largely systematic value investors. About 70% of the strategy, 65 to 70% of the strategies we run are value. And then we have the rest are like in this growth and momentum camp. Um, and we've been sort of believers in, you know, having at some point here, hopefully, a reversion in value stocks and, and systematic value investing type strategies. But I also think, you know, one of the things that we've talked about is once that reversion comes and, you know, it's a little bit of, of a timing factor timing thing, I guess. But, you know, when we look to build strategies in the future, I think after a, a really good run in value, learning, knowing what we know now, that value can go through these very long periods of underperformance and a lot of people can't stick with it. You know, we've discussed sort of integrating having a little bit more of a balance between value, momentum, and growth coming out of that period or after that period. Yeah, you know, our, our weighting has always been a little bit more towards value and, you know, sometimes a lot more towards value like it is now. And, and the reason for that is when we look through all this academic research and we comb through all these papers, more of the papers that have really good long-term records are based on some sort of value metric than anything else. And so it's not us necessarily making a decision, you know, value is better than something else. It's more us looking at all the academic research and there's just more of it around value. But I think your point's well taken is, you know, we, we have to learn that even, you know, a 70-30 blend towards value might be too much, you know, for a lot of people to take. And certain people, that's great. Certain people want to invest in value and they can sit through the ups and downs and that's great. But for other people, maybe a, a bigger blend among all the different strategies is a better, a more appropriate thing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that now is necessarily the time for that, you know, with value is out of favor as it is, but I do think that that's an important lesson. And I think for most people, single factor investing is not a good idea because these factors have s such long periods of underperformance. And by blending them all together, you can get a very similar return, but you can do it with less risk. And so I think for most people, if they are going to be factor investors, some sort of blend among the factors is best. This next one, the last part of your article where, you, you know, you talked about luck and how luck, especially in investing, um, can have big influences on whether or not somebody does really good or bad or, in, you know, in the short run in particular. You kind of use the example of, you know, and what's happening in the market right now is a lot of these investors, retail investors, are buying these companies that basically have filed to go bankrupt. And the stocks have actually, because of the flows, the stocks have actually done well, but yet these companies have basically said, you know, we're going bankrupt, we're liquidating, you know, obviously debt holders are first in line to get anything. So, you know, that's an example of those investors. That's really just, a, I mean, it's, what, what, it's what's happening in the market, but it's, that's not a good investment strategy. But the fact is they're probably thinking in their own minds that, wow, I am a great investor because I was able to, you know, buy this company and it went up 80% in three days. And, you know, so they're confusing this idea or the role that luck plays um, in those decision-making processes, which is why I think your point was, you know, focus on the process and not the outcome. Right. So when judging process against outcome, I think the question you always have to ask yourself is, am I playing a game where luck plays a role? And so if I'm playing you in chess, 
and you win, you were better than me. There's no luck in chess whatsoever. So in chess, I don't have to, I can worry about the outcome. It can, I can judge myself based on the outcome, not the process. But with in, investing, oh, there's a lot of luck, especially over short-term periods of time. And so if I try to judge the outcome only and don't look at the process that got me to that outcome, then I'm going to likely draw the wrong conclusion and I'm going to make a mistake going forward. And your example of bankrupt companies was a really good one. Investing in bankrupt companies long-term has been a horrible, horrible thing. You know, it's, it's really never worked. And so is it possible, I guess, that, you know, the people that are buying bankrupt companies now will do well? I mean, I guess it's possible, but even if they do well now, if the conclusion they draw is bankrupt companies are a good investment, well, the next time we have something else happen and there's bankrupt companies, they're going to buy those bankrupt companies and they're going to have learned the wrong lesson. They're going to have focused on what happened, which is they made money with bankrupt companies now and not the process, which is investing in bankrupt companies is a terrible long-term strategy. And so I think it's important, you know, in something like investing, it's very important to focus more on the process that got you there. I mean, the outcome is, especially over long periods of time, the outcome does matter. But it's really important to ask yourself, you know, was this a sensible process that got me this outcome? Because if it's not and you got a good outcome, it's likely going to lead to you making mistakes in the future. So we know this one was different, non, you know, not really too focused on investing. But what we wanted to do is, you know, just share some of the things that we've learned from um, both our mistakes, um, how we manage money and how we built strategies and just how we've you know, built this business um, over the last 20 years. So hopefully you found some of that interesting and valuable. And um, thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Thank you. Hi, guys. This is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at PracticalQuant and follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carbono. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.